Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. He said it right. They stink. And the stench can be felled far beyond the Metroplex, that's for sure. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin were presented by Progressive Insurance. If it's any day ending in a Y, we're talking football with you. It's a beautiful Tuesday morning. If you're watching on ESPN News, you to take a look at the Brooklyn Bridge. Here we are just outside the East River on Pier 17 on the water. Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL Insider, joins us here this morning. Dan, so many juicy matchups to look forward to this particular week. The return of Jimmy G Mm. to New England. We'll talk about that later in the week. The matchup of Baker and Burrow in one state and is one side regretting what the other one finally got. And of course, the made up Mm. game between Pittsburgh and Tennessee that was supposed to happen, but was canceled due to COVID-19. Those are all stories you're going to be following this particular week. But there's another story that is brewing. There have been two coaches already fired in the NFL. Dan Quinn is gone. Bill O'Brien is gone. I know you and Jeremy Fowler have a piece on ESPN.com right now with some of the coaching moves to look out for. It's not too early. Two teams have already pulled the trigger. Who's on the hottest seat? As you sit here today, who's sitting on the hottest seat right now? There's, I mean, there's three situations we're watching, you know, potential openings during the year. And not any surprise, Adam Gase with the Jets. I mean, it's the only winless team left. And obviously, you know, that hasn't worked out. Um, Detroit, obviously, you know, they won the game Sunday. Matt Patricia buying himself certainly some time. But I think a lot of people around the league are watching that situation. It continues to go badly uh they could make a change there they they said that at the end of last year that patricia and quinn had to show some this year in order to to get another one and then uh jacksonville you know doug marone is obviously a guy people are looking out for so those are the three big ones we're kind of watching as in terms of the most likely to happen sooner rather than later and obviously by the end you know check back a month month and a half from now some situations could look worse than they already do better than they already do but last year there were five Teams that changed head coaches. That is the fewest in a decade. Mm-hmm. And usually when you have the, the lower number the next year, the big number, the number goes higher. Right. So when you look at the surprise guys that have, could potentially be out there, the Denver Broncos, the Minnesota Vikings, even though yeah. Mike Zimmer just signed extension, a, an extension, yeah. what are you hearing about Minnesota and Mike? Well, they, I mean, they like him. Obviously, they just extended him. He's been the coach there. They've had success. Uh, but, yeah, that's you talk about a surprise. People always say, well, what are the surprises? If I knew what, where the surprises were going to be, there wouldn't be surprises. But uh, I think this would be a surprise. However, they're sitting there at 1-5. and five. They got uh, all kinds of money sunk into the quarterback. They had playoff expectations. And this is a situation where if it were to continue to go badly, right, they're 1-5. and five. Let's say they finish 3-13, and 13, right? Then, then, obviously, you have to watch that for a potential change uh, in Minnesota. You know, that that kind of situation we're looking at. I mean, I don't think the Cowboys give up on Mike McCarthy after only one year. That would be a surprise. But what if it completely unravels? What if they're 2-14 and 14 and it's a huge disaster? So, so, right, exactly. So, those kinds of situations, that's what I mean when I say a month from now, two months from now, the landscape could look actually different than it does now. Unless, I think, you know, you're the Jets. Why are these teams or these organizations holding on to the – Matt Patricia's, the Adam Gase's, or the why are you still holding on to the Doug Marones when there's no real light at the end of the tunnel? You might as well get started in the future. And that's what the the Texans and the Falcons decided, obviously. I mean, they were sitting there winless. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think you want every, to – every organization is different. Every ownership group is different. Uh, Detroit has gone through a transition recently where the controlling ownership changed hands, um, you know, w- within the same family. But – I think a lot of times teams are they, – they want to make sure and, and give a fair chance, right? So 
if you're not eliminated, right? I mean, what if Detroit wins its next seven? I mean, like that, that kind of stuff does happen. There are seven playoff spots available per conference this year. So out of it at this point isn't necessarily the same thing as it's been in years past. And then there are, you know, there are relationships, right? I mean, it, it, maybe the Doug Marone and, and the ownership of the, of the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, they may just like each other. They may not want to, you know, we, what did we talk about with Jason Garrett all last year? Like they, they didn't want to get rid of him, right? Yeah. Like this, I mean, if Mike Zimmer ends up going in Minnesota, it won't be because they're sick of him. I mean, they, they, he's the coach and they like him and they like that he's their coach. It would be just because they decided it was time uh, for something different because it wasn't working. You had an article about overreaction, and, but you also said there's no re- overreaction about the conversation of MVP for Ryan Tannehill. Why is that? Well, just the, the, what we do on Mondays is like, uh, like a declarative statement and is this or isn't it an overreaction? So the, this one was Ryan Tannehill should be in the MVP conversation. It's not an overreaction. When you look at what their record is since he took over uh, middle of last year, I mean, they're among oh, the they're very 12, best teams. 12 and 4, 12 and 3, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and then they add in the playoff games. It's yeah. 14 and 4. So, yeah, they are, and he's playing at an incredibly high level. We watched Derrick Henry, and he is the dominant force there on that offense. And obviously, you know, he's he's the unique thing that they have. But when they've thrown it, when they've had to throw it, I mean, Ryan Tannehill – has been exceptional and one of the very best performing quarterbacks in the league since he became their starter. And Derrick Henry's great, but I think when you switch quarterbacks and it has this effect, it it, it helps everyone. And Ryan Tannehill is certainly, if they, especially if they continue to win their games um, in that conversation, without a doubt. You you hear what Dan said about throwing the football when you have to. Hmm. Tom Brady just did it this past week. Patrick Mahomes did it last night. You don't have to throw for 500 yards every single game. You run the football, you take that Tennessee recipe, and you can win a whole lot of games and find yourself in the Super Bowl. The 49ers did it last year. And this is something he's been harping on for weeks, essentially, whether it's throwing 500 times a game, trying to throw for 500 yards, tongue planted firmly in cheek. You don't need to do that. Just manage your expectations. ESPN NFL insider Dan Graziano giving us the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. I want to stick on the Titans here for a second. Um, you have mentioned that their offensive coordinator, a guy by the name of Arthur Smith, might mm-hmm. be one of the more hot coaching commodities coming up this particular offseason. I don't want to get into a nuts and bolts discussion on a guy that even the most hardcore NFL fan probably couldn't recognize on the street. But see, I'm shaking my head. I'm like, huh? Right. right. <laughs> but this guy obviously has a good quarterback to work with, yes. an all-world running back to work with. What can you tell us about the offensive scheme and what he's been able to do? Well, I think, you know, you look at, you say good quarterback to work with Tannehill's having a level of success that he didn't have in Miami. Now, obviously he's healthy, which is a big part of that. But when you, when you look at what Arthur Smith has done in terms of incorporating the downfield passing, I mean, like Ryan Tannehill's average target depth is average, you know, per throw is, is pretty high. It ranks uh, among the very best. So it's not just, you know, ground and pound with Derrick Henry and then throw if you happen to be on third down. So there's a lot of creativity there. And I think, you know, when you look at head coaching candidates, Teams want to talk to guys that know how to score points. That, that's where the trend is right now. So you look at offensive coordinators on successful teams. And, and so you look at Arthur Smith. You're going to look at Brian Dayball in Buffalo. You're going to look at Greg Roman in Baltimore. Brian Schottenheimer in Seattle starting to get some, some looks again because of what's going on with Russell Wilson this year, right? I mean, let yeah, Russ man. Cook was the whole thing. Were they going to go away from the run and, and let him chuck it a little bit? So 
when teams look for head coaches, as they inevitably do, right. where they start these days is with these offensive coordinators on these successful teams, these high-scoring offenses. And Arthur Smith is going to be a candidate that you're going to continue to hear about as the year goes on. And, Key, we should obviously put Eric Bieniemy of the Kansas without well, that is, He didn't need to say that. Right. That's I think without a, a no-brainer. Doubt, He's at the top of the list. The, that, that is probably the most likely <laughs> yeah. guy to get a head coaching job at this point. We, even, said, that, even we in, said that this time last year, though, right? Well, not to a degree. We, we, I think we started to say it as the Chiefs started to get deep into the playoffs. But this momentum is carried into the regular season at the beginning. If if he's not hired, I don't even know what to say if he's not hired. I don't even know where to start. I th- right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, look, I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's pretty widely accepted that he's going to be high on people's lists yeah. and end up getting one of these jobs. Last thing, what does that say from the contacts that you have if you're a defensive coach, when yeah, we tough. get to the playoffs, we know defense still. I mean, look at what the Titans were able to do on the road to be able to stifle Tom Brady last year. Then they stifled Lamar Jackson, and to all the credit to Tannehill and Derrick Henry, but their defense, especially in the New England game, the Logan Ryan pick, I mean, defense wins in the playoffs. Defense travels, as Key likes to say. It's portable. But if you're a defensive coordinator looking for that shot, are you shot? <laughs> it's been tough. I mean, there, there are exceptions. You know, we saw Vic Fangio get the job in Denver a couple of years Todd ago. Todd Bowles it, it is does available. Happen. Todd Bowles is available and having a very good year in Tampa Bay. I mean, still widely regarded as, as a guy that could get another shot as a head coach uh, with, without a doubt. But, yeah, I mean, you look at these defensive coordinators that, that are trying to get sort of back in, like Leslie Frazier and Buffalo, obviously they're not playing well right now, but they have over the last couple of years. You know, Jim Schwartz in Philadelphia has had, you know, so there are guys that. I like, I like Jim Schwartz. Right. I but, liked him in Detroit, but. But you're getting, I mean, you, you, the, the trend is how do we score points? How yeah. do we outscore teams? And, and so when ownership and GMs want to talk to head coaching candidates, that's the first thing they're thinking of. Offense is controlling these games. You know, it, it's this highest scoring era of all time, and I think that's where the focus is. It could cycle back at some point where the defensive coordinators are the hot candidates, but for a while it's been the offensive guys, and I think that's going to continue in the and short defensive term. Defensive coordinators, for me, historically, act like they don't know how to hire somebody to run the damn offense, where offensive coordinators find defensive coordinators to run their defense but not the other way around. Very interesting. We will see Dan on Get Up this morning, 8 a.m. Eastern with Greeny and company. Thanks for stopping by. And thanks for not asking me about the Cowboys. <laughs> I'm tired of talking about it. I don't him, know man. what to say. Wire my mouth shut. On that tip, we do have eight division leaders, seven legitimate ones, and the Dallas Cowboys. So they're not looking to fire their head coach. So of the eight that are leading their division, real or not real for key to go from leading the division to being a leading Super Bowl contender. He'll separate the pretenders and the contenders. Chishon, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. 
You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Christian Kirk, Kyler, the star of the Arizona Cardinals. Christian Kirk grew up in Arizona. They are now there together. Key shooting a couple shots, getting the front rim to go in on the garbage can. He's multitasking. He's talking Dodgers. He's talking NFL. He's shooting. He's doing it all. He's still still gaga over his Lakers. Yeah, well, um, Lakers will be fine. I'm moving on to the Dodgers. We're moving on, as Belichick would say. We're more concerned with the Rays tonight. That's what. That's my mission. Right. We're not moving on to the Cincinnati Reds. We're moving on to the <laughs> Tampa Bay Rays tonight. 7.30 Eastern, first pitch on ESPN Radio. The commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred, will join us at 9.30. The Astros have reared their ugly heads again. We'll talk about that and everything about the fall classic and what happens next season. There's so much to get into with the commission at 9.30. He'll be on the Shell Pennzoil performance line. We'd like to welcome you back to Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin, coming to you live from the Seaport District at Pier 17, and we are brought to you by Chase. We're also asking you guys, our Twitter nation, who deserves more blame from the Cowboys' struggles? The owner? Or the guy that he hired, Jerry Jones or first-year head coach Mike McCarthy? Let me guess. Go ahead. They're going to say Jerry. They are, yeah. by an overwhelming margin. Yeah. 68% of you have said Jerry, including at comedian underscore watch. He hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and said, quote, Jerry Jones, it's his mess on the field. I don't like McCarthy or Garrett, but it's just not coaching. Boy, Jason, poor Jason Garrett. He just still can't get away from it. He's not even there anymore. Yeah, he was there for a long time. And they didn't, they didn't win the way that they thought they were supposed to win. And by the way, Jason Garrett never got off to the start that Mike McCarthy did. Granted, it's his first year. McCarthy's a Super Bowl winner. Cowboys started one and three. Jason it's a bad Garrett, look, though, man. He's never been one and three. Yeah, but this, that, that, that stuff last night was... It was unwatchable. Stink is the word. It you really, use. it really was. The stench. It was bad. And 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 for all of the Kyler Murray stuff that I talk about, I like Kyler Murray as a player. Yeah. There's no question about. It. I just don't like long term success with that offense in the NFL to win a Super Bowl to get deep run in the playoffs. But watching him last night is fun. Just watching him run around and stuff like that is is as I would say, it's cute. <laughs> I like it because it's just like. You know, he's smaller than everybody out there. And he's just like, bam, 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 move out the way. And they can't catch him. It's just, it's, it's fun to watch, especially when he pulls the ball down and lets that thing fly in the air. When he dropped that on Kristen Kirk, that thing left his, when it left his wrist, mm. I knew it was six just by how he, he cocked and delivered. I'm like, oh, yeah, he got somebody. Then they pan to Kristen Kirk. I'm like, oh, that's six. It's over. And it was over to the tune of a 28-point defeat, the worst loss they've ever had at AT AT&T Stadium. By the way, just a fun little note that Kyler Murray, there's something about that stadium. He was a Texas high school football legend, 42-0 and as a starter, one of the greatest prep athletes to ever come out of the state because you got to remember he's also a stud in baseball that was drafted by the Oakland Athletics in the first round. So he was 6-0. and That's when you know you're big in high school football. You're playing playoff games at the home of the Dallas Cowboys. He was 6-0 and in high school at that stadium, and then now he added to it on the biggest stage he's ever been on. Last note on the Cardinals, you got to throw it out. There for sure. They hired Cliff Kingsbury right out of Key's alma mater, USC. He hadn't even moved into his apartment yet. They got him out of there. They dumped Josh Rosen for the second time in as many years. They draft a quarterback in the top 10, and this time it's got to work. Well, not top 10. They took the quarterback number one overall. Top one, right. Yeah. Rosen was at 10, right? Yeah. And then obviously Murray 
at one. So right now, right now, the Arizona Cardinals are not leading their division. The Seattle Seahawks are. But let's reel off, real or not real. Essentially, let's run through all eight division leaders as we get closer to the midway point of the season. And Key will tell you, are they real or not real with regards to doing what all 32 want to do when the season starts? Win the whole thing. Are they legit right now or not? Let's start in the NFC least slash east with the Cowboys sitting at two and four. High on the hog on top of the NFC East. This is pretty easy, right? No, and we're talking about real as far as getting to the Super Bowl, not just winning their division. They're not, they don't, if they won the division and they got into the playoffs, they backdoored it to the playoffs. Whoever wins that division backdoored in the playoffs, they don't have a chance. They're going to get bounced in the first round and keep it moving. Can you believe whoever wins the division? Obviously, the Giants and the Eagles just one pace back, which is unbelievable. He's going to host a playoff game. How many games is Washington back? Because Washington feel like they yeah. still in it, too. Remember, they beat the Eagles in week one, so they got their one victory. They are on the board with yes. their one win. But one of those teams is going to host a playoff game no matter what. What if the Giants just get fake hot, meaning like they win – Six games this year in a six and ten team win the division or a seven and nine team win that division and they stack up in the Giants with a team to win the division. I think about it from a tiebreaker perspective. You get to a point where either the Giants or Eagles win this week to pick up their second win and then Dallas loses to the Washington football team. Suddenly Dallas is out of first place and one of those two pathetic teams is in first place. Speaking of pathetic, everybody's ah oh, the Bears now. Come on, man. They're not legit. They're Three and zero, they're not legit. They're four and one, they're not legit. Key, they're five and one. They are legit, and and I learned my lesson from last year. San Francisco 49ers, every week. Ah, <laughs> ah, the best players are he left those guys down in Atlanta. Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, and they're down in Atlanta. And every week, the Niners just win, win, win. This is Chicago. The portable recipe, play defense. Nick Foles, don't turn it over, don't cost us. Every now and then we ask you to make a big throw to Allen Robinson, one or two a game. That's all we need, one to a tight end, maybe a check down to a back, and we're going to come get you on defense, and we're going to keep stacking up the wins, keep stacking up the wins, keep stacking up the wins. And then we look up, and then the weather starts to turn. Mm. We get people in here. We have some sort of home field. Now all of a sudden, and that's how you win. That's how they won with Lovey Smith when they got to the Super Bowl. No doubt about it. Rex Grossman was the damn quarterback, man. Yes, unfortunately for them, Peyton Manning was the other quarterback. And when that's the matchup, that's how it's going to go. Key referencing when talking about the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons, leaving Julio, like you mentioned, to go to San Francisco and slowly build that team into who they are. One of Key's old teams, the Bucks, are leading the NFC South. Yeah, they, they, they are for real. They're for real, and, and they're going to make a strong push with New Orleans to win that division. And when they win the division, they'll make a strong push because Tom Brady knows how to win in the playoffs. And so when you look at Bruce Aarons, you look at Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich from a coaching standpoint, they kind of now are starting to settle in to what this team is. This team is not about Tom Brady as much as it is about playing defense, running the football, and allowing Tom Brady to do similar to what I just said about the Chicago Bears, which is, we know you're not going to make a mistake. We're not worried about you throwing 30 interceptions. Mm-hmm. We're at, that's the least of our worries. We need you to make a few big throws. We're going to get the ball back for you on defense. We're going to cut the field down in half so you don't have to go the length of the field. We're going to give you a short field as many times as possible. You just do your part. We'll play defense, we'll run the ball, and we'll keep stacking up wins. Yes, his predecessor was known indeed for throwing 30 interceptions. For the first time ever, the Seattle Seahawks – 
are five and zero, which makes this one easy, I assume. Yeah, of course. They they every single year they're a part of what we call the NFC champions, and and they're always in the mix, no matter what their record is. They're just for whatever reason, Pete Carroll led team along with Russell Wilson. They're going to always hang around to the end, and this is no this is no different than last year, the year before. This is the team that certainly could make a strong run at getting to the Super Bowl by far. I know the 12th man is not in attendance this year, but when you go up to Seattle, it's a very tough place to play because as the weather starts to turn and the rain starts to come down, which it does pretty much 365 days a year, <laughs> that that's an advantage to them. Going Them playing at home is an advantage. And I got to say, they may not have the 12th man, but the 55 men on the roster have proven to be pretty darn good this year. So that's the deal in the NFC, let's run through the AFC, which has been dominated, of course, as you know, by the Patriots for 11 straight years. But here we are for the first time since 2001 through five games. The Pats are under 500. How long ago was that? That was old Tom Brady's first year as a starter in New England. The Bills are on top of the division. They're four and two. But key, they've lost their two games in the last six days. You know, I, I feel like the Buffalo Bills started to get a lot of praise. Josh Allen started to get a lot of hype, MVP hype talked about those sort of things because he was doing something very similar to what Ryan Tannehill was doing. The difference is Ryan Tannehill's not turning the ball over. On the other side, Allen is turning the ball over. And so it's costing his team at crucial moments. That's why they've lost these last couple games. And when you look at you look at uh, the last two games, I think he's thrown three interceptions in the last two games. So that's a little bit of a problem. They've got to kind of rein that in some. And when you talk about this division, I think New England is more for me more of a contender and a true contender once they get Cam back going again and on board the way that he was prior to the COVID situation, I think that New England Patriots will run away with the division. I didn't feel that way before, but now I do. As Key has said, and I think this is a pretty safe statement, I'm just going to trust Bill Belichick until I can't trust him anymore, which will probably be the end of time. Yeah, every year, every year <laughs> New England lose one or two games, people start freaking out, and then what do they do? They wind up running, making deep runs into the playoffs. And I know, oh, they had Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Yeah, they had Tom Brady. Tom Brady ain't there anymore, but Bill Belichick is. So until somebody tell me and show me something different, I'm rolling with New England. Speaking of great coaches, let's run through these last three really quick, all with terrific head coaches, starting with Mike Tomlin at the Steelers at the top of the AFC North at 5 a- a- Absolutely. Absolutely. Right there. Going to be there all the way in the end. Mike Tomlin, one of the top five head coaches in the National Football League. I don't know where you put him. I know he's not one because of Belichick, but you're putting him somewhere in that other four. The Steelers and Tomlin will take on the Titans and Mike Vrabel on Sunday. The Titans are 5-0 and on top of the AFC South. They're real, too, because, again, they have what the Steelers have. They have what Chicago have. They have exactly what Tampa Bay has, which is we're going to run the football, we're going to play solid D, and we're going to make you make mistakes, and our quarterback can make big throws when we need him to. And lastly, the Kansas City Chiefs. Pretty quick here, right? Obviously. Yeah, same. Same recipe last night. They can, you know, Patrick Mahomes, 225 yards, two touchdowns, zero picks. Running the ball, 245 yards. Uh, Alaire had, I think, a buck 60. He was great last So night. that's that recipe. As you start to see all these teams that are winning with winning records, that's their recipe. Run the ball, play defense, and allow our quarterback to throw it when he needs to. And that's it. Kansas City will be in Denver on Sunday. On the way, sure, some teams are getting ready to play their sixth game of the season, and certain teams in college football are getting ready to play their first. 
To Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests, including Mike Loxley, join us on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. Coach Loxley is back in the DMV, and we'll talk about that in just a second and what that could mean for turf football as they look to sort of turn the corner in this super competitive Big Ten. But, Coach, welcome in this morning. First things first, we mentioned a few minutes ago, some teams are getting ready for game number six this season. Your entire conference is getting ready for game number one. You guys got Northwestern on the road Saturday. What has it been like to sit here and watch it all? And then what's it going to be like, do you think, when finally Saturday approaches? Yeah, it's been really tough uh, sitting back on Saturdays. I think this is the first time in probably 35, 40 years that I wasn't doing football on Saturdays and and got the tailgate here at the house and and, and sit back and watch all these other teams play was was a little frustrating, but... uh, you know, glad that we made the decision we made to to bring Big Ten football back, and we're, ever since that announcement has been made, everything and all we've done is try to prepare our team, man, uh, to get them ready for a tough Big Ten schedule. How you doing, Coach? What's going on, Key? How you doing, man? I'm I'm hanging in here, much like you. That's for sure. Let me ask you this though: How has the conference handled everything, in your opinion? Yeah, you know, first, you know, obviously we've taken a lot of hits because uh, of how things have been perceived on the outside. Now, being part of the inner discussions, you know, as head coaches and athletic directors and the commissioner, we were meeting two twi- twice a week, usually, up through these decisions. And uh, you know, I think ultimately decision, the decision was made uh, when we paused and, 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 and postponed was just based off purely medical uh, medical advice. Uh, we have a medical subcommittee that looked into everything, and until we had more information, just weren't comfortable. And you know, I'm in total support of Kevin Warren and the job he's done as the commissioner, and 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 trying to navigate something that's never been done before. And you know, I know it's easy to take shots from the outside looking in, but I I thought it's been handled really well. I thought the communication amongst uh, the league office, the coaches, the uh, athletic directors, all have been really clear and concise, and, and we all kind of knew where, where we were headed. I'm just glad we've got it back and, and allow our players and our, our players in our conference to be able to add some value to themselves. Speaking of players, how have your players handled the stop and start, the stress of not knowing if, in fact, they were going to have a season? You know what? They've done a great job of it. You know, one of the tenements of, of how we've tried to develop the culture around here was, you know, we're going to worry about today and we'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. And we've said that from the day we got here because, you know, we took over a program where we had just lost a, a player. Uh, there was a lot of uh, issues that were going on when we came in. And so I said, you know, our, our rule of thumb will be let's live for today. Let's take care of everything we can today and then we'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. And that that mentality served us best, especially dealing with COVID and how fluid things are that every day was a new day. So, you know, for a head coach or for a team to try to plan out things and say what next week looks like and to put together a training regimen or training schedule, not knowing what was going to happen the next day made it really tough. But when we really locked in and focused on, let's just worry about what the rules of the game are today, uh, it helped us get through it pretty pretty well. Coach, I'm so glad you mentioned it's a very poignant, sad moment, the death of Jordan McNair, the player for the Terps last year that passed away uh, during a practice. And that is obviously something you weren't a part of. You weren't a part of that particular coaching staff when that occurred. But it is something that hangs over the program. But I want to kind of mention something from a larger perspective. I mentioned as I introduced you, you're a DMV guy, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, for people that aren't familiar with that area of the country, one of the most fertile recruiting grounds in America. 
How do you feel personally just being back in this part of the country after being at New Mexico and Alabama under Saban, which we'll talk about in a second, to be home and to sort of be right there within arm's reach of some of the best talent in America as you have a really tough task to get this team going in the right direction in one of the toughest conferences in all of college football? Well, for me, one, it feels great to be home. I mean, you know, very few times in your career are you able to coach, play, work right where you were born and raised. And for me, everyone that has ever known me since I've gotten into this business knows that the Maryland job was the job I've always coveted. I've been here, you know, 13 years, three different stops, one as a assistant, young assistant, another as a coordinator, and now as a head coach. So I've seen the good, bad, and ugly, but one of the things that has always – attracted me to this job was the fact that there are so many players within a 45 minutes one hour drive that if you can find a way and create a niche for yourself to to keep these big time players here like we used to you know there were times where we had the Sean Merriman's the Vernon Davis's the EJ Henderson's all were guys that were born and raised bred right here in the DMV and so for me it gives me hope that as we continue to build the culture and, and develop this team and put it on some solid footing. You know, when you look at the Maryland job, we've had basically four coaches in the last five years. Mm-hmm. You know, with Randy Etzel, I took over as the interim, DJ Durkin, and, and then Matt Canada took over as the interim. There just hasn't been any continuity in philosophies and structure and organizational structure. And now what I hope to do is put it on some solid footing, recruit really well, develop a culture of winning and and, and, and get it back to what I'm used to seeing uh, Maryland football look like. Coach, how do you feel about coaches having the ability to test out such as Nick Saban? We saw Nick Saban do this past weekend due to the coronavirus. You know, it, it's interesting because the, the, these tests aren't always 100% foolproof. And so I think it's I think as long as the, the, the ethics behind the testing, which, you know, there's no doubt in my mind these conferences are going to do what's right, uh, you know, we've seen a, a few false positives in our deal here where we've had the positive antigen tests. And then when you do the confirm, confirmatory PCR test, it comes back negative. So uh, I think it's kind of a, a, a foolproof way of ensuring uh, that, that, that you've got a clean field, as we like to call it, with coaches, staff and players. So have no problem with uh, how, how, how it's been managed and how to be handled. Mike Loxley. Maryland football head coach and former Alabama assistant joining us here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Coach, you formed a uh, national coalition of minority football coaches earlier this year. How's that going for you? You know, it's going great. Uh, and, and because of the type of people that I have that have uh, joined in to help me, you know, as I've said before, the formation of this thing, you know, with COVID, it gave me a lot of free time to do a lot of uh, soul searching and, as I like to tell people, turning 50 on uh, last Christmas, you know, my give a crap gauge is on E. And, you know, I got into this business 30 years ago. And when I look around and see that the the number of minority head coaches, whether it's uh, brown or black people or even women now coming up through the ranks, just are underrepresented in some of the, the, the best jobs in the, in the country, uh, being a coach and being a leader. It's frustrating, and so instead of just crying about it, as I've always tried to do in every aspect of my life, I said, let's figure out some solutions. Let's be part of of a solution. And so I enlisted the help of some really powerful people in the football world, from Mike Tomlin to Nick Saban uh, to my mentor, Debbie Yao, Ozzie Newsom, Doug Williams. The list goes on of people that 
have had great success at the highest level in, in, in their respective fields, whether they're general managers, head coaches, and athletic directors, uh, to create an organization that basically prepares, promote, and produces the next generation of coaches coming up through the ranks. You know, you hear so many times, uh, you know, didn't there's not enough viable candidates. Well, there's enough viable candidates, and what we need to do as a coalition is just put those people in front of the powers that be that make these decisions to show that there's some capable uh, people that have the tools necessary, and they just need an opportunity. That's well said. Just give somebody an opportunity and let them run with it. I'm glad you mentioned Debbie Al, the great athletic director, your mentor. And I, I just want to quickly mention that obviously uh, minority representation in the NFL is a big story, but it's obviously a huge story in college football. But Mike is there in College Park. Mel Tucker, African-American first year at Michigan State. And James Franklin, African-American, obviously has done a fantastic job at Penn State. So best of luck to you, Coach. You got Northwestern Saturday. The Big Ten is back. Best of luck, and we'll be watching all season long. Man, go pop them, man. Don't play with them. <laughs> Put them on their back. I got you. I appreciate y'all for having me on, man. Thanks a lot. All right, you coach. got it. Mike Loxley. Yeah. 50. Young. Oh, yeah, I did, yeah, I was – that number didn't – you know, I was like 50. Yeah. I thought he was a little bit older. Yeah. Just because he's been coaching for so long, and I've been knowing him right. all the way from uh, uh, when he was out in New Mexico yeah. to to Alabama, when he was at Maryland. I mean, I've been, you know, around football. I just thought he was older. Yeah, he said he's been 30 years in coaching, starting at the age of 20. Jeez. And when he turns 51 on Christmas Day, 51 on Christmas Day, five days before that, we'll find out if the Big Ten will make the college football a lot of damn X's and O's and (laughs) meetings and listening to coaches screaming, yell, 30 years? Yep. No, I'm good. <laughs> it's easier to sit here with me. You never lose a game when you're sitting here with me. I'm good, man. I, I don't. I, I never could understand why coaches go so long. It's just that stress level. It's just right. I couldn't do it. As our partner Jay Will, he'll be back tomorrow. Says coaches just born to coach, right? Coach, you love using the word coach to describe everybody. Yeah, but thirty years. He's he's fifty, man. He's been doing it thirty years. He's got another thirty to go coaching. Good stuff. Good stuff. On the way, you can make an easy case for Derrick Henry to be the NFL's MVP, but a really compelling case for Ryan Tannehill will make it. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin, the podcast. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Eric Henry and the Titans are sitting at 5-0 and with the Titanic showdown with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who also sit at 5-0. and It's Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Presented- I wonder um, who's bigger for Tennessee. Who was bigger for Tennessee at running back? Was Eddie George bigger than 
It's Derek hard Henry. to imagine anybody being bigger than Derrick Henry. Eddie George was a fantastic running back, of course, for the Titans in Ohio State I mean, before size that. size-wise, though. But girth-wise, it's hard to be bigger than Derrick Henry, isn't it? Don't you think? I don't know. Evan, find those numbers. Our producer, Evan, or somebody, <laughs> Alex. Find the size comparison for me between Eddie and Derrick Henry. I think Derrick may be a little taller, but Eddie George was big, dude. Huge. His legs, he, he was big. No doubt about it. Two of the greatest college players, the two of the most legendary colleges at Ohio State and Alabama. We'll look into that. Keyshawn J. Will Zubin presented by Progressive Insurance. Commercial insurance through Progressive protects your business and your dream. Choose from over 30 coverage op- options Excuse me, at progressivecommercial.com. So you got L- Lamar Jackson in the MVP conversation. You got Patrick Mahomes. You got Aaron Rodgers. Had a tough game on Sunday. Obviously, Russell Wilson seems to be at the head of the pack at this moment, but there's a couple guys on the Titans that should get some consideration. Derrick Henry, whether he's bigger or smaller than Eddie George, has a big <laughs> chance to win the MVP. But so interestingly enough, does his quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. Yesterday, the QB was on Greeny, our radio show with Mike Greenberg that airs every weekday afternoon at noon Eastern. And I mean, what do you think this quarterback did? I mean, he handed it off to Derrick Henry. Uh, you got to give it to Derek. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I'm not a guy who's going to vote for myself and I have a ton of, of uh, respect and, and love Derek. You know, he does a lot for us. You know, yesterday was huge on the stat sheet, but he's been huge for us all year, whether, um, whether he had 200 yards or not. You know, just the impact he has on the game, um, the ability to not only make the tough yards inside, which you see a lot of big backs do, but he has, as you're seeing now, the, the speed to, to take it 95-plus yards uh, anytime he touches the ball, which I think is what makes him extremely rare. And what makes Ryan Tannehill extremely rare, too, it's obvious Key's always big on the eye test. Derrick Henry looks absolutely amazing when you watch him. But I got to say this, to give him his props, since Tannehill took over as the starter in Week 7 last year after a loss to the Broncos, you can't hide this. He's top five in QBR, completion percentage, passing touchdowns, and quarterback wins, and keep in mind, in back-to-back weeks in the playoffs, he eliminated Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson and did so both on the road. I'm glad you said in wins because I was going to say, damn all that, right. the record. Mm-hmm. That's the important part is the record. Here's a couple other numbers because we had our staff look it up. Eddie George, key, once again, the eye test was there. 6'3", 240 for the great running back out of Ohio State, excellent player for the Titans, and today's vintage running back for the Titans, Derrick Henry, 6'3", 247. So Derrick by a shade on the weight, but both 6'3", and both fantastic players. A nice steak will catch He can catch up to that. Get <laughs> little ribeye, little fatty ribeye. A little fatty ribeye, get them seven pounds. But because Derrick, it looks a little taller because he's got kind of like a long gait where Eddie was just, man, Eddie was huge, though. <laughs> he was so big. And that was back then. I, I 25 just look, years ago, right? Yeah, just 90s. looking at him, I'm like, they very similar in terms of size. Last running back, though, to win the MVP, Adrian Peterson, with one of the most incredible regular seasons you'll ever see at that position or yeah. really any other when he went over 2,000 yards. That was eight years ago, 2,097 rushing yards, 12 touchdowns. We haven't had a running back win it in eight years. You give Henry a legit chance with all those QBs that get all the attention we talk about all day? Well, one, his team has got to win, right, and which they're doing. So far, so good. And his numbers have got to be astronomical, meaning like he's got to, to get over the quarterback, you've got to be a 2,000-yard runner or you've got to be LaDainian Thomas in 1,800 yards, 28 touchdowns on the ground, another couple throwing, a couple receiving. You know, 1,500 yards isn't going to get it done for Derrick Henry. He's got to, he's got to have big numbers. 
you know, when you think about like Sean Alexander, for instance, 1,800 yards, 27 touchdowns, even Marshall Falk, Hall of Famer, 1,300 yards, 18, 18 rushing touchdowns. But I think he might have had 1,000 yards receiving or something mm. crazy like that. So all purpose makes a difference when you come to running backs unless you are a 2,000-yard back much like A.D. was. Very hard to deal. Danian Tomlinson won it 14 years ago. Sean Alexander, 15. And Marshall Falk at the turn of the century, 20 years ago. Still to come, the reality for the Dallas Cowboys football team is that they look like a fantasy football team. We'll explain that. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin next on ESPN Radio. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. <laughs> 